on SAFM. Moving right along, racism in private and Model C schools, part two. We had a conversation that mimicked somewhat, well, I wouldn't use the word mimic, but that touched on these issues earlier on in the week. We are having now the part two thereof, and I must hasten to say this is the first and last time I will ever have a guest who will be anonymous. This is because it is quite a sensitive matter. There's a campaign and movement, if I can call it that, on Instagram that is called You Silence we amplify. This is looking at some of the stories emanating, and of course, this is a developing story, and there will always be more stories of this kind. We are looking and focusing on Model C schools, private schools, and how they have lent themselves to being institutions where there is a lot still of some of the social cohesion challenges, if I can call it that, predicated on racism and institutional bias against persons who are, and I regret to use the term, non-white. We have Anonymous on the line who is a member of the organization and who has started it recently. Good evening, Anonymous. Thank you so much for your time. Hi, thank you for having me. Excellent. Let, let's just have a an open-ended conversation for about two minutes about your experience, why you silence, we amplify is a movement and what it particularly wants to address. Okay, well, I think people would be interested to know that the whole start of the campaign was very spontaneous thought. So within, idea, within hours of having the idea, it kind of was born and then it kind of took off and we didn't really expect it. So it started in that um, a group of us from Herschel Girls School, who are now ex-people, we saw that our school posted a black square on their Instagram page in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And a few of us thought that it kind of seemed like a PR front. It seemed like they wanted to, you know, make it seem like they were actively anti-racist when that wasn't our experience after school. And so we decided that either we could, you know, email them, sit through meetings again, try and privately address how they're going to address anti-racism, or we could do something we've never done, which is make it public and make our voices public and make sure that they can't ignore us this time. So that's what we decided to do. And that evening, we all just started commenting on the Black Square post. And within hours, there were about like, 350 comments. Or, like, these old girls just started joining in and people started commenting their experiences after school and how the school needs to do better. And from there, basically what happened is that the school turned their comments off, which meant that all our comments then disappeared. And so we decided, we had taken screenshots because we predicted that this was going to happen. And then from there, we decided, okay, no, we're not going to be silenced again. And that's where the name of the campaign came. Let's talk about the name of the school. Surely this is something which is of great public interest. It has got the world sees with topics of this kind, and South Africa has its own way of engaging this topic. So I think the first thing we might need to know is, which school are we referring to here? We're talking about Herschel Girls School, but the campaign has expanded to people from all schools sharing their experience. 
But yes, the members who started the account, we are all ex-pupils from Herschel Girls School. What is the end game with You Silence We Amplify? What do the specifically the old girls of Herschel and those who have since participated in the You Silence We Amplify movement, because that's essentially what it is, if I asked you now, or what is the broad consensus among those who are the founders of this movement trying to achieve ultimately? And do you have timelines to the extent that you do have them? So I think the main goal when we started was just making sure that everyone felt heard, making sure that we created a safe space online where people could share their stories when they were otherwise missed in majority white spaces within their school. And so that's how it started. And now the goal has kind of changed to be more strategic in that we want justice. We want actual plans of action from these schools. We want to talk to the education department. We've actually, um, something really exciting is that the Western Cape Children's Commissioner has just reached out to us, um, Christina Nondorf, and she wants to have meetings with us and conversations about how we can better be sensitive to black oppression within the South African education and South African history. So our goals have definitely, you know, evolved. And none of us really predicted how this movement was going to take off the way that it has. So right now, we're still very much in planning processes, but we are definitely very excited for where it's heading. Sure, I appreciate that, and that's great stuff. Let me just throw a cat amongst the pigeons. I mean, if I was a pessimist and I ask these questions representing that pessimistic society because it will exist somewhere and it mightn't surface, if not already, is this just not another platform for angry girls, angry boys from these former Model C schools just to ventilate without necessarily engaging the school in a meaningful way? I'm not saying this is not meaningful. What if that was put to you? There are more constructive ways of engaging these schools than going the route that you have. How would you respond to that? Yeah, so we definitely have thought of that a lot, a lot. And before we started commenting, that was an option for us. That was, why don't we just go to our school directly? Why don't we try and solve this with our school and keep this a private matter and try and engage with our school directly? But for a lot of ex-pupils, that has already been done. And especially for my, for my year, the people of color in my year, um, we had numerous meetings, dialogue-based, think tanks, diversity meetings, we had diversity prefects, like, there were a lot of things done, but they all kind of seemed like a front. They all kind of seemed like a PR campaign. And we had taken that route many times. We've taken the private route. We've taken the meetings, the communications, the, you know, closed-door conversations. Mm -hmm. But none of that has worked for us. And so, in a way, it was almost a last resort to kind of publicly shame our school, but we think that we've gotten a reaction from them. We've gotten a response. We've started a conversation, mm. and I think that there isn't one way to do something. There isn't yes. one way to protest or anything like that, but this way has been working for us so far. Fantastic. Let's engage some of the institutions and their traditions 
things that define these schools, that separate these schools from your other schools that have created the alumni networks? We're talking, of course, about your former Model C schools and your private schools that pride themselves in history. Some of them have been around for, what, what 150 years, some of them, particularly in that region of the country, in the Western Cape. When, when we engage them and their identity, what about that identity is in the context of South Africa now no longer relevant and what would you propose be ways without losing the school's identity, its ethos and what remains a brand for these schools and yet at the same time be relevant and responsive to the times of 2020? I think that these schools have many healthy traditions that my school did but what is a bad pattern to see is the people entering these spaces. So my school is a majority white school. And not only that, but there's a disproportionate imbalance in power dynamics. So we had teachers, we had our executive, our council, all majority white. But then our ground staff would be majority people of color. And I think that's where this problem comes in, is that when you have that type of power dynamic, you start to taking biases within the school and the students start to, you know, disrespect the ground staff, but then they'll have respect for the white teachers because they're more superior in a way in terms of authority. And I think just little microaggressions like that that people don't pick up that can actually have a huge effect on people of color's lived experience. I think things like that need to change. And I think the other thing is that a lot of what these schools now do seems like tokenism. So my school had, in the past three years, we've got a diversity prefect role. And this diversity prefect was essentially what it sounds like. You're supposed to be someone helping the school engage in, like, a healthy relationship with making people of color and all minority groups within the school feel like they belong at the school. And in a lot of ways, that also felt like a fun because nothing was, no tangible change was made, but we had a diversity prefect, and every school knows we have a diversity prefect. So it feels like the school is doing something when they're not. So I think I think tradition is important and tradition is good, but making sure that the people partaking in those traditions are from diverse backgrounds, I think that's what's important. Let's ask something differently. Some of the anecdotes, and I've seen a couple, refer to how the experience, the micro the microaggressions you speak of in terms of the engagements between the pupils in the classroom, outside the outside the classroom with the teachers, and so on and so forth. Would it only be a concern of the black community at large in relation to how it felt? because of the presence of the white dominance? What about the microaggressions within these black communities? Because there are class differences among Africans that come to display in the most crudest of ways in the playground, in the classroom, referring to very obscene and offensive terms, the N-word, and in Africa, in South Africa particularly, amakwerekwere is the equivalent of saying the K-word or of saying the N-word. Are these addressed at all, or is just purely something about the black experience vis-a-vis the whites? Yeah, so I think what's unique about this new movement is that the conversations aren't surface level that we're having. So there's, there's almost this basic knowledge that all of us have 
which is that racism is bad and equality is right. But those aren't the conversations that we're starting. We're talking about the intersections. We're talking about how does race, how does racism, xenophobia, Islamophobia, homophobia, how do how are they all linked? How are people's experiences nuanced? Let's talk about the microaggressions. Let's talk about, you know, the, the things that generally would get dismissed if you have to report them at school. Let's talk about those things and how traumatizing those things can be and how scarring those things can be. And we know they are because we have people commenting that matriculated in the early 2000s and they're commenting about their experiences at my school. So they still are carrying that with them today. So I think what's really unique about our movement is that we're not just focusing on um, overt racism. We're focusing on covert racism. We're focusing on the microaggressions and making sure that there are also consequences for those. Because I think that is a quite an important issue, particularly from a South African perspective, where we start engaging our own issues as the broader South African society and how we are hostile to our own, however our own may be defined. And it is not always just a black and white issue. At times, it is very much a black and black issue. Tribalism, for instance, xenophobia, among other things, that from the classroom, from the playgrounds are there and we carry in our spaces where we are now and we exhibit in the workplace. Exactly. And I think, you know, often because of the effects of apartheid in many ways, and especially one of them being the Group Areas Act, when people grow up in different backgrounds and they grow up around different people, when they come together, then they almost struggle to connect. And a schooling system is a place where it should be a safe place to connect and to really empathize with people who you didn't grow up around. And I think that's what's missing at a lot of schools, that, that let's humanize each other, let's talk about these things. Yes, it's important to get mm. good marks, but it's not what really makes you a good person. And I think there needs to be more emphasis on that. That's definitely something that we advocate for. We certainly do look forward to part three of this particular conversation that has started already. The race question in South Africa, part two was now the use silence. We amplify movement. The guest's name is withheld for obvious reasons. Thank you so much then, ma'am, for your time. We look forward to more of such engagements and which is more, the impact that your work will do to create a different narrative from the generations at these elite schools will tell once they become alumni or even earlier when they are pupils themselves. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me.